One is the infamously corny disaster flick of the 90s. The other is its long overdue sequel that attempts to expand on where the first one left off. Independence Day. They remade it. And welcome back to another episode of They Remade It. I'm your host, Stuart. And I'm your host, Jacob. And it's uh, it's been a minute. But since uh, since we've gotten to say those things, I'm sure for everyone out there, you know, we recorded enough that it was able to bridge the gap. But otherwise, as I mentioned previously, I moved for, you know, a good period of time. So <laughs> I apologize. No, it's quite all right. It was nearly seamless for them. For them, the Odd Couple episode just released last week. Well, it'll be a bit longer wow. by the time this comes out. But All right, yeah for a very particular date, but obviously don't want to spoil what what, what we're going to be doing, despite the title saying it and me bringing it up in the opener. Anyway, what you've been watching over the course of this last month and a half? <laughs> the fact that it downloaded on the day yeah. that they are on right now. Um, yeah. Time is an illusion. So uh, I'll try to go through this as uh, condensed as possible because I did partake in quite a lot of different things. Wow. So, and I, I actually have excluded a lot from this list too, but you can find that on my letterbox account, which I've mentioned before in the past, and I don't have the username on hand, so whatever. But, um, okay. <laughs> the first thing I want to bring up, uh, I actually added last minute because I only discovered this yesterday, uh, and it's not a movie or anything, it's a new podcast, which I've been listening to, and by new, I mean March of this year new, there's only six episodes that are still being updated. But, oh, wow. uh, you know me, I am more into the nonfiction side of things. Uh, and there is a podcast called Original Pokemon, uh, with Michael Hagney, who was the original voice director and, uh, a voice actor for a lot of the Pokemon in the original, uh, English dub of the anime for the first oh. six seasons. And huh. basically each episode is an episode of the series and he's going through it chronologically. And basically he, these are really short too. They're like 25 to 30 minutes each. So they're really yeah. digestible, but he just goes through the plot of the episode, and he stops he stops going through it whenever he has something interesting to share, and I I just enjoy hearing fun facts from someone who is actually involved, especially since a lot of this has not been documented, uh, not in part due to four kids not really caring about a lot of that shit or documentation for that shit, but uh, what that's a, that's an absurd thing to think. <laughs> Uh, it's it, yeah, it's it's been really interesting and it's a lot of fun. It, it's it's crazy because a lot of times he'll literally just be going through the plot like beat for beat, and it'll be two or three minutes, and I'm like, okay, this is getting a little tiresome. I could just you know watch the episode. You're not providing anything here, and then he stops it, like episode three or four, I think. He just stops it dead, and he's like, and here, four kids didn't like Misty slapping Ash, so we cut those scenes out. But if you listen to the soundtrack, the audio of the slap can still be heard. Now, I don't know why that is. I don't remember, but I can call up the audio engineer, and then there's, like, a 10-minute phone call with the original audio engineer on, like, w what sound mixing they did and why they would have left certain sounds in the track instead of uh, removing them. And it, it's, it's, it's a funny sort of whiplash. And, uh, like I said, it would get old if it was much longer than what it is, but each episode is so easy 
to go through because he keeps it so short. Um, and yeah, it, I, I've been enjoying it a lot uh, as we speak. The sixth episode uh, just dropped yesterday, so actively updating. I'm excited to see where this goes. Uh, the only criticism I have is uh, I think he's too humble. He, uh, oh. he, yeah, he's very like, oh yeah, I, I understand, you know, send me emails if I'm wrong, I get it, I, which is fine, but then at a certain point he's like, and I know a lot of people hate four kids, a lot of people hate the dub stuff that we did, uh, I take the blame for probably 50% of that, please feel free to send it my way, and at a certain point it's like, no dude, I, I get it, I understand, just, yeah, just like, share yeah, that four kids was, like, four kids wasn't really a great time for anyone involved, it sounds like, yeah, <laughs> ironically, honestly. You may have been, like, the vocal director, but you weren't, like, the head in charge of anything, you, everything. You weren't standards and practices. Like, you can only take it so far. I get it. Yeah, like, take the Alex, Hirsch, the Alex Hirsch route and just fucking, just, you know, put them on the damn, like, stake. Yeah, put them on blast. Four Kids isn't even, like, doing anything anymore. I don't know if they went under I, or if they were bought out, but, like... Yeah, I, I was thinking there for a second. I was like, aren't they, are they even still a thing? If they are, they, they got absorbed been... into, like, G Kids or something. Yeah. I feel like remembering hearing or reading about something where they got in with otaku or something or what? Uh, sorry, no, not not that um, crunchy roll. Like it, like they mm. had some amount of buyout involved with that. I can't remember. Okay, I don't not believe that. I mean, someone has to hold the rights to those dubs that are getting uploaded to streaming services. So yeah, but you know, it it, it seems like the world of dubbed anime is a bag of like snakes at this point. So. It, I mean, yeah, it is. I, it, it kind of always has been. It's it, That's one of the things I like, too, is him talking about the quality. He's like, it's so gorgeous to look at. I had no idea the anime looked like this. Because when we were doing the dub, they were low-quality VHS rips pulled off of Japanese TV. So he's like, oh, it's so it, it's so it's such a nice art style. It's like the director of the anime didn't even know how this looked. He got scan lines. So, Man, it's, it is truly insane how much shit like animation professionals and voicing professionals have had to put up with over the years in the industry because my god yeah and it's uh never getting better so nope unionized motherfuckers i i guess i guess that is i guess that's technically a good thing a lot of shows uh in production studios recently have been uh unionizing under the recent new deal for animation effort that's good mm. uh, it's the age of the new unions hooray <laughs> Uh, besides... I'll, I'll stop before I'll, I'll stop before the Soviet anthem starts up in the background. <laughs> oh yeah, because I'll have to edit that in. That's extra work yeah, for no, me. Um, yeah, no, it just follows me around whenever I start talking about mildly left-leaning topics. Oh, I understand. I get you. I'll, I'll be sure to uh, chop that out where possible. But um, <laughs> besides that, like I said, I watched a number of movies, which I won't dwell on for too long. Uh, first up, I watched uh, the 2019 Cats for the first time. Uh, God. I don't have a lot to say on it. It's bad. Other people have said it's bad. I guess the only thing I'll put out there is I don't know why people still treat the musical itself as a prestige musical because, like, the, the movie was bad, but it didn't have a lot to go off of. That musical sucks, too. The soundtrack's not good. The one song everyone remembers is only memorable based on who's singing it when they hit specific notes. Like, the song itself isn't really worth anything. I hate that musical. So... The only thing I ever have known about that musical and the only thing I'll ever retain about it is that someone once described it as it is a bunch of cats who have to have a singing contest and whoever wins gets to be taken to heaven by a UFO. Yeah, they, they get in like a giant balloon and fly away like uh, the professor at the end of The Wizard of Oz. Goodbye, everybody. So it's, uh, I don't know. I never truly understand stupid. musical theater. <laughs> they're, they're, it's, as someone who is very into musical theater, this is what I consider near the bottom. Like, I, I don't I don't really care for it. I don't know what... Andrew Lloyd Webber was thinking, anyways, not to dwell on <laughs> cats. Um, 
The other non-theatrical thing I'll talk about, uh, I went through, just on a whim, no specific reason, I watched all of the uh, Despicable Me movies, including Minions, uh, for the first time, just because I had not seen any of them before. I had never even seen the first one before. Uh, Jake, as always, I am concerned for your masochism. (laughs) What I will say is the first Despicable Me is a pretty average animated kids movie. I don't think... I, it's not anything special, but I don't think it's bad oh, by yeah. any means. Um, yeah, it, the first one. Yeah, the first one's fine. Like I have never yeah. had a problem with that one. It actually ha- it, it does have a few funny moments, and I think the villain, well, the the antagonist, I guess, of the movie is actually a lot of fun too. Um, and the minions, surprisingly, like they work in that context. You know, you have to when you're watching this, especially if you're watching it for the first time, you kind of have to remove from your brain the fact that the minions have destroyed a, a good section of American culture. Um, yeah, because they work in the context of the movie, but like the other the other three movies, two, three, and that Minions movie are just not good. Like it's a steep drop from that first film. Yeah, no. the way it, like it's like it's like someone had a perfectly reasonable BLT sandwich and they ha- they ate it. It was pretty good, and they're like, "Man, I really like this bacon on here." And they just decided to just eat nothing but bacon for the next six years of their lives. That's that's basically like like what they did with Despicable Me and the Minions. Like yeah. we decided, oh, these things are iconic enough that we can do something with. Let's do that to the point of near insanity, like actually near insanity. Like I truly, we really have all just kind of like been okay with that whole thing that these little yellow fricks just kind of took over younger culture, like kind of like the more family oriented level pop culture for like a weirdly long amount of time and are still kind of around because there's still going to be another one of these movies, despite it feels like it was announced like eight years ago. Yeah. It's just, it. it's insufferable. I don't particularly yeah. find them funny. I, I think they work in, in the, I, they work in the context of that first movie because they're just assistants and that's all they really do. They yeah. amped it up in the second one because they play a big role in the antagonist's plot so there's almost like a B story going on with them and then the same thing in Despicable Me 3 they have their entire their own subplot that's going on in the background where they like take over a prison and they like are flying in a ship like it's get them out and obviously the minions is just the minions so it's it's insufferable and this this new Rise of Gru movie is just a it's just a sequel to the minions movie so yeah gonna be plenty of them running around doing their thing saying banana yeah. I don't know yeah I really want to like believe that, you know, culture kind of comes in waves. And I'm sure back in the day, there was something just as like done to death that everyone was super annoying about. But I really don't think there's anything comparable to those things at this point. I think they truly are uniquely annoying at this point. Uh, yeah, maybe not. Like, uh, I know the Smurfs like had a drop off, but I don't think there's anyone out there that's like, fuck the Smurfs. Well, I'm sure there's someone is, but I don't think there's a large portion right. of the population that's like, I fucking hate the Smurfs. So yeah, pretty much. Uh, maybe I uh, I'd be hard pressed to think about something. I'd have to think about it for a bit. But um, enough despicable me talk. Uh, <laughs> what did I see in theaters? Well, I saw a couple of things in theaters. Um, the first one I did see uh, the Bob's Burgers movie, which I had alluded to I think in one of the previous two episodes we recorded. Uh, that I was yes, going to see so. it. It's the first two D animated film that we've released theatrically here in forever. You know that wasn't. G kids licensed anime or something. Um, and it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it, it is a lot of fun. Uh, I, I like those first couple seasons of Bob's Burgers. I've still kept up with it just because I feel as someone that considers themselves to be big in the animation scene or it keeps up with the animation scene. I'm not like a figurehead or anything. 
I feel like I need to stay informed on these things, but I've, I've fallen off of enjoyment of the show just because the vast majority of it are plot centered around the kids, which are pr- the least interesting thing about that show to me. Um, yeah. But the, the for what it's worth, the movie does just feel like the show on the big screen. It's 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 similar to what I would have wanted the Simpsons movie to do. The, the Simpsons went too far in the other direction where it's like, okay, everything has to be big, exploding, we have to leave the country, you know. Um, Marge gets to say, God uh, damn it, you know. It it, it it was too much of a heightening to the point where it didn't even really feel like the show anymore. This feels like just the right level of heightening to where it still, you know, feels like it is a part of that universe. And, I mean, the strong suit of Bob's Burgers, to me, is the naturalistic dialogue, which I think they still managed to pull off in the movie fairly well. I, I like um, how all of the characters interact with each other, how they speak. There's a, there, there's, a, there's a character who's involved majorly in the plot that's only showed up in two or three episodes that they brought, brought back, and it's the original voice actor, too. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see where the show has gone, I'll say. Uh, the big takeaway for me, though, is... Um, I've been to a Star Wars movie theatrically. I think I saw episode three in theaters. I've seen some of the early Harry Potter movies when they theatrically released. I have never been in an audience with like people cosplaying with like toys and things. I guess I was at a screening of Rocky Horror that did that, but that was different. You, well, that's you, Rocky. Expect, you expect that. Yeah, it's Rocky um, Horror. I mean, come on. I was not expecting people dressed up like Bob and Linda, Linda Belcher laughing uproariously uh, like if, throughout the theater. It was strange. It was like I was watching the movie in... A convention center um yeah. which obviously the show is popular for fox to keep it around for 11 going on 12 seasons or something like that but i didn't know it had that kind of following especially not where i live um yeah so that was certainly interesting but it's not like they ruined the experience in any way uh i'll say it was a solid b movie it b as in like b minus or b uh yeah not like a grade it was better than it had any right to be and uh, perfectly serviceable for the first theatrically released 2D animated feature in forever, especially from Disney since their last one was like Winnie the Pooh in 2011. Um, God. So, <laughs> over a decade. Um, Hooray! Oh, God, animation's in a weird spot. <laughs> um, next thing, I saw Men 2022. Did, have you seen anything for this or any of the trailers that released? I don't. It sounds oddly familiar, but I don't think so. Uh, basically this, uh, after her husband or fiance, God, it's been a while since I've seen it now, so I don't rightly remember, her partner dies, and so she gets away to, like, the English countryside to reside in this house, and basically just every man in the vicinity accosts her in some different way. Um, and oh, it is, okay, it is yeah, I, I do remember this. Yeah, yeah, I do remember seeing something for this, yeah. Uh, it's not good. It, uh, <laughs> not really in any way. Um, yeah, I was. Kind of, I had a feeling. It had a weird feeling that it, it was going to be kind of like that, where it didn't really seem to kind of have that expansive of a, a premise. That didn't just seem like it, it seemed like a premise that was definitely like trying to be very directly a message or like a metaphor for something, which like is okay. That's like I'm not saying a movie shouldn't do that, especially like you know, like on something as sensitive as that. Um, but you know, I didn't really know what was going to do with it beyond that. <laughs> so, well. Yeah, it, it's directed by the by Alex Garland. He's the same guy that did uh, Ex Machina, and oh, it's wow. which I do like. But this, oh yeah, it's a that's a fantastic movie. This movie is just ugh, it, it's it's like how do I describe this? Um, it's toxic ma- masculinity is bad. Yeah, that's it. There, there's not much yeah, I, thought on this. You know, not much yeah, rumination. Kinda... He solely wrote he solely wrote it, so I don't know what real viewpoint he has on toxic masculinity from his yeah like 
but yeah, like that just sounds like. Listen, I don't mean to sound like the you know Tumblr arena as it is, but why the fuck do you have a subject like that and not have at least one female writer? Like that's kind of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Like I got to tell you, as a man, I don't think toxic masculinity is affecting men at least directly as much <laughs> that they have a good viewpoint of it. Right. I mean, it does in a sense, just in like an upbringing sense, but I don't think there's a lot of visibility on that from like right, exactly. Someone in like, his, can... like him, I don't think he has a good visibility on that. I'll say, yeah, no, it uh, definitely it's it it definitely calls on more of a if a guy's writing that sort of thing, it's more of an kind of introspective kind of view on it, like you know how that might affect and how that might change someone as a human being versus it being an exterior threat movie like this. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll say two good things about the movie the soundtrack is beautifully haunting I actually do like it even though at times it just sounds like a woman like going ha 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 in the background Uh, but the way it's mixed trust me I I do actually like that if it was paired with a better horror movie I think it would be more effective Uh, and Rory Kinnear I think does the best with what he's got Uh, he basically plays all of these different men uh, on the village it's like everyone in this town is just played by him in different effects and makeup and wigs but, uh, oh, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah, he, he does a good job, especially with some of this dialogue, which is like, what the fuck are we doing? Um, but uh, I, I did like him. I, I think he I think he did good. And I mean, Jesse Buckley wasn't wasn't uh, bad either. It's just uh, easier to focus on like a gimmick character like, oh, this actor is playing everybody. But um, yeah, yeah, not a good movie. Uh, not great. Okay, and okay. <laughs> last thing I'll say, because uh, I've been on this long enough. Uh, Jurassic World Dominion. I rewatched. Technically, I rewatched the entire series leading up to Dominion because I knew this was the last one. I hadn't seen the real original trilogy in forever, and I had mm. never seen Jurassic World or Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Uh, and I knew I was going to go to the theaters to see Dominion, so I figured I'd watch those two for the first time. I'm like, well, hell, I'll just watch all of them. So uh, I watched all six of the Jurassic Park movies. And cool. How is it, how is it watching how is it watching one fifth of a good series or one sixth of a good series? <laughs> I, I was gonna say I was like uh, <laughs> I forgot just how impactful something like Jurassic Park can be. Um, it's not perfect. A lot of people say it's no, it's, it's not. such per- such perfection and it's really not. There are a couple plot beats that I don't think makes a whole lot of sense, but they get blended into the Spielberg mystique and um, some of the CG doesn't hold up too well. But the majority of the film is practical effects, which is where it really shines, obviously. Um, so it's, it's still a grade A movie in my eyes. And, uh, for what it's worth, I don't, I wouldn't say Jurassic World, the first of that new trilogy, I wouldn't say it's a good movie, but it, it, it's funny. It apes just enough of the original movie that it's kind of passable. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is, this, I wouldn't kinda... say this is good because it's just Jurassic Park again and some of the dialogue sucks, but it's not abhorrent like every other movie in this series. Yeah. And I'm guessing, well, I guess that kind of gives away your opinion of Dominion. <laughs> yeah, so I guess if I had to rank them, I, I actually have thought about this a lot. Starting from top to bottom, it would be Jurassic Park, and then Jurassic World, and then Jurassic mm. Park 3. Uh, just for the pterodactyl scene with the aviary, I think everything about that is wonderfully done, and I, I think that scene on the bridge is fantastic. Uh, it's a shame uh, the rest of the movie is hard to sit through. Um, and then honestly, fourth out of all six movies, I think would be Dominion. Um, it's still near the bottom because it is still a piece of shit, but (laughs) it has a slightly more sensical plot than something like Fallen Kingdom. It doesn't have atrocious dialogue like Lost World. Uh, It has some atrocious dialogue, but most of it is nostalgia baiting in Dominion's case, which you get when you're pulling in previous characters into a new... Look, 
Dominion could have been a whole lot worse than it was because I thought it was going to be a Ghostbusters afterlife situation where you're watching this whole movie and you're like, okay, unfortunately, I know that the original actors are in here, but they are nowhere to be seen. And it's just like, dun, 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 and they're at the end. To Dominion's benefit, Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, and Laura Dern are in the movie from the beginning. They just have a B story that's going on with them doing like an espionage mission that links up with all the new characters like Pratt and whatever, um, Ron yeah. Howard's daughter, Bryce Dallas Howard, that's it. You know, what they're doing. And the two plots are going on simultaneously and they meet up in the middle. Um, and I'm surprised that they got the original three actors in that much of the movie. Um, I and, mean, I'm sure with the amount of money they've made from it, <laughs> I'm sure they were able to hire them back. Oh, oh, true. I mean, just based on the past examples that we've had of franchises trying to do this, it's generally just get them in for like five minutes. That's the primary reason I was surprised. Not like Sam Neill and Laura Dern are like huge triple A actors right now or whatever, but right. um, Yeah. I think I, I I do. I I tend to think that works at least. Um, It's, it's just, they do some of the line repeating where like Sam Neill and Chris Pratt, both at the same time say, don't move, you know? And then they look at each other like, Oh, and that stuff's insufferable, but it's in every single one of these types of movies. That's like, Oh, don't you remember the moments you loved? The, the fun dialogue and the interesting beats, you know, someone hiding under a Jeep that's being spun by a T-Rex because we haven't done that in literally every single movie in the series. Ah, uh, beautiful. I just, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to see Dominion. Like, if for whatever reason we end up somehow doing these movies for the show, I'll see it then, I guess. But, and our, our friend Steph will, you know, probably lambast me for it, but I truly think there is only one good Jurassic Park movie, and that is Jurassic Park. And I've basically written all the other ones off entirely. Um, I mean, I'll stand. I I'll, just... I'll stand by that with you. I think between Jurassic Park and my second favorite, Jurassic World, there is a steep decline, and there are only I mean, like Jurassic pieces. World, <laughs> and that's fair. Like I, yeah, I like maybe I like the T Rex and the whatever the fuck Rex uh, fight in Jurassic World, just because like like come on, like there's a certain level of kid enjoyment with like oh yeah, let's just put two giant dinosaurs against each other. This kicks ass. Um, and I think the villain there, the oh, uh, it's like something Dofronio or uh, Dofronio. Vincent, I, I Vincent got, D'Onofrio, yeah. D- Vincent D'Onofrio, thank you. Um, I think he's a fantastic little like a- antagonist. Um, for as like cartoony as he is, I think he's fantastic for Jurassic Park. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I just I can't. I really can't appreciate anything other than the original, just because a it's so good, and b the rest of them are so just unironically bad. Like a lot of people have tried to like mm-hmm. kind of pulled Lost World from the brink, and a lot of people try to defend a lot of the stuff Jurassic World's been doing, but they're just they're they're rehashy and they're dumb. All right, like I'm just there's no reason to pass the first one. Yeah, I'm so tired of all these extra movies that we don't need. I just I, I just read an article today that said Big Fat Greek Wedding three just started filming. It's like what the flying fuck. <laughs> I'm just like why. <sighs> We'll talk about it more today. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna. Jesus Christ, we're gonna. With my Sisyphean curse with the show. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's it. And I guess to finish off my list, uh, number five, The Lost World. It's pretty bad. But number six is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom because that thing is, it's it's the worst. It is horrible. Pretty like, bad. Yeah. Just unironically just bad. Just not not even worth it. Confusing plot. <laughs> yeah. Needless, needlessly confusing plot. <laughs> Uh, but that is everything anyway. I have seen, or everything I have deemed worthy of telling you that I have seen. Cool. I have seen significantly less, because like I said, I've been very busy. Um, 
honestly, the predominant thing that I've been doing with Hannah has been Stardew Valley, actually, because we have um we have a farm that we do, do together on that one. Um, so it's taken up a lot of our evenings. Uh, beyond that, I think I've only really watched two th- things to any to really any degree. Um, one I've started watching actually Futurama with Hannah. I've seen most of the series at this point, but she she hasn't. Um, so we're just like a few episodes into season one. I might skip a lot of season one because a lot of it's kind of inconsequential and just kind of boring compared to some of the later seasons. Um, but you know, still, still pretty good. Mm, um, I think season three is probably the highlight of, yeah, I've heard that you have to before. watch it, watch an episode five times before you've uncovered all the jokes. <laughs> and even then you're probably still missing some. Oh yeah. It's a very smart show. I do. I do love that about it. Um, and then the other thing I at least briefly watched, there's a Netflix series that's kind of like come back like come like it's on and off it like for whenever it, it kind of comes back it's called uh love death and robots mm-hmm. um you've talked about that before. i watched oh yeah we have um i watched a few episodes of that because it's not a series it's like it's just a few like 10 to 20 minute long um typically cg animated um you know just productions of you know kind of varying topics usually having to do with love death or robots um usually mm-hmm. combo of the three mm-hmm. um and i think the th- i only saw a few of them one was called day of the mini dead which was basically just a zombie movie on basically fast forward centered around like if the earth was like in miniature size and so it's like you know lots of high-pitched voices lots of like very fast moving it's like meant to just kind of be that's kind of like the whole like comedic effect of it um one was about a guy who was on a train but then he got into a field of tall grass and started getting hunt like hunted by like ghost zombies um hard to describe them beyond that uh one well, two that was called like like robot tour or they were here or something like that it's about these robots these sentient robots exploring the now ruined remains of human civilization and it's just kind of like funny them commenting on like what what are directly just like problems of the day it's like so you're telling me humans didn't do all these things even though they could have saved themselves what idiots where it's like all right we get it um mm-hmm. i just think the premise was just kind of funny um and then one more i think it one one more that was basically it was literally just i don't even remember the name of it it was just like this military like reconnaissance group goes into a cave to follow like some bad guys of some variety and they end up stumbling upon the prison of an elder god and it's just like them getting horribly murdered by like eldritch abominations um i the show as a whole has kind of like really kind of encompassed my progressively my my, my progressively forming opinion about a lot of the more wanton violent kind of bits and things with a lot of media nowadays and that is to say it's getting me very depressed and I'm having to deal with a lot of like not great thoughts now. Um, I really am kind of tired of just like at a certain point where we're just kind of pushing the envelope of like, Oh, what can we do? Like what stuff that we can animate? Cause like there was a whole other bit that I didn't even see. Cause I saw like a preview of it online that I was like, this is too disgusting even for me. Um, where it's like this like space faring group ends up coming across this like sw- like alien swarm thing and at one point they take over like they do the thing where like oh the aliens speak through the body and mind of another human but in this case they show her being like like her head being cr- like open and tendrils connected directly to her brain and all this stuff and it's like clearly horrifically painful and torturous for the person that it's happening to and it's like this is like unironically just fucked up to watch <laughs> like I truly don't think I I'm comfortable with a lot of this shit anymore. Like it's kind of gotten like, I, 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 it's kind of gotten to the point of, yeah, no, I actually see what some of these more clutching at their pearls, you know, older generation types are getting at now. This is a lot. <laughs> I mean, everyone does have their line. 
uh, in the same. You, you saying that reminded me uh, twice now with the movies I've seen in theaters. One of the trailers I've gotten uh, is for David Cronenberg's new movie. <laughs> and oh, is that uh, is it, was it Mad God or something? Or is that oh no, that, that's Phil Tippett. Mad God actually looks like a lot of fun, but it's animated, so I'm that's the kind of yeah. space that I'm in. And I'm a big horror fan, so I have technically become desensitized to a lot of this stuff. But David I mean, Cronenberg is known for body horror, and this new movie, Crimes of the Future, is too much for me. It is nothing but like seeing people do body augmentations and mutilations on screen and just watching the trailer. I was like, I don't know that I can watch that. It's making me sick. I, I have reached my limit. I cannot, I probably will not see that movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I'm, I'm, I'm at least tangentially a horror fan, at least kind of in a more creative sense, but like, I've got an issue with like body horror at a certain point. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's obvious. It's one of the most like directly horrifying things you can make a thing out of. But to that end, I think we've maybe kind of pushed the envelope enough now. I think uh, I think we're good. Don't think we need to start like doing all of this. I just I'm just it's because because like it sucks because like, love nothing more about it. like the series itself and all the different bits that they show are interesting. I think they're very incredibly well done. It's just like I've watched so many like animated people be just brutally murdered and brutally tortured in all these different ways. It's like oh my god, like this cannot be healthy in a wider societal scale. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's where we're at, and we'll probably keep progressing. Uh, we'll probably keep progressing in that direction and we are probably going to become similar to those old people where it's just like this is this is where our line is drawn we you know we think this is too much and they'll keep progressing yeah. that's how it yeah. it's like i worry i just worry as we get closer and closer to photorealistic animation and everything that like maybe now is a good point to realize that there should be a limit because like I really don't think there's any benefit that could to come from desensitizing this much to violence. Like it's just bad. Like, though, yeah. Though that yeah. being said, like I have an entirely separate yet still related issue with photorealistic animation as a whole. Right. Because I, I, there's a lot of time and training and talent that goes into still life and realistic paintings and photorealism and animation. I don't find it interesting mm. in the slightest unless there is a specific art style that can be attributed to it. And yeah. uh, I, I, I don't think it's entirely his fault, but I blame Robert Zemeckis for a lot of that with things like The Polar Express and Mars Needs Moms and A Christmas Carol uh, trying to get us in the direction where, look how real these cartoons look. Well, then why didn't you film it? I don't give a shit. I want it to look visually interesting to me. So you could have just done a live action film with like a bunch of CG bullshit in the background, Dr. Strange style. But I mm. want to, I want to see something with an interesting art style, people moving in weird ways that they can't normally move. I want to see wild takes. I want to see smears. That's what I find interesting about cartoons. Yeah. <sighs> well, speaking of filming a live action thing, which, which, uh, with a bunch of CG bullshit in the background. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, it was relevant for once. My God. Oh, oh God. Independence Day. This is, this is going to be a ride.
So because these movies have about a billion characters in them, I'm going to just do my usual of reading off all the characters as best I can. I'm sorry if the plots are confusing. Believe me, watching it's just as confusing. So we'll kick it off with the 1996 film, the original Independence Day, directed by Roland Emmerich, written by uh, Dean Devlin, and also Roland Emmerich, produced by, uh, once again, Dean Devlin. And it is starring Will Smith as Captain Stephen Hiller, Bill Pullman as President Thomas J. Whitmore, Jeff Goldblum as David Levinson, Mary McDonnell as First Lady Marilyn Whitmore, Judd, Judd Hirsch as Julius uh, Levinson, David, uh, the father of David Levinson, <laughs> Robert Loja as General William Gray, Randy Quaid as Russell C Case, Casey, Margaret Collin as Constance Spano, and uh, Viv uh, Viv Vivica A. Fox as Jasmine Dubro. Dubro. And now on to the plot, the strangely convoluted plot. On July 2nd, 1996, an enormous extra extraterrestrial mothership enters Earth's orbit and deploys multiple flying saucers, each 15 miles in diameter, over major cities around the planet. U.S. Marine Captain Stephen Hiller is deployed despite being on leave. His girlfriend, Jasmine Dubrow, uh, decides to flee Los Angeles with her son, Dylan. In New York City, David Levinson, an MIT-trained satellite technician, decodes a signal embedded within the global satellite transmission, realizing it is the alien's countdown to a coordinated attack. With the help from his ex-wife, White House Communications Director Constance Spano, uh, David and his father, Julius, reach the Oval Office and alert President Thomas Whitmore. Whitmore orders evacuations of New York City, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C., but it is too late. Each saucer fires a destructive beam, incinerating each targeted city, killing millions instantly. Whitmore, the Levinsons, and a few others escape aboard Air Force One as Washington, New York, Los Angeles, and other cities around the world are completely destroyed. Jasmine, Dylan, and their dog Boomer take shelter in a tunnel's inspection alcove, emerging once the destruction is over. On July 3rd, counterattacks against the invaders are thwarted by alien warships' force fields. Each saucer wall launches a swarm of shielded fighters, decimating the human fighter squadrons and military bases. Hiller, a squadron leader, lures an enemy fighter into the Grand Canyon before ejecting out from his plane, causing the fighter to crash into the Mojave Desert. He subdues the downed alien and flags down a convoy of refugees, transporting the alien to Area 51, where Whitmore's group has just landed. Defense Secretary Albert Nim Nimziki. Nimziki, whatever, reveals that a government faction has been involved in a UFO conspiracy since 1947 when one of the invaders' fighters crashed in Roswell, New Mexico. You know, that Roswell. You know, everyone freaking knows because it's Roswell and no one ever shuts up about it. Area 51 houses the now refurbished ship and three, three alien corpses recovered from the crash. As Chief Scientist Dr. Brack Brackish Oaken examines the alien captured by Stephen, it awakens, telepathically invading Oaken's mind and launching a psychic attack against Whitmore before it is killed by Secret Service agents and military personnel. Whitmore reveals what he had learned when he was when they were linked. The invaders plan to annihilate Earth's inhabitants after stealing all their natural resources, as they have done with many planets before. Whitmore reluctantly authorizes a trial nuclear attack against a saucer above Houston, Texas, but the ship survives. Jasmine and Dylan commandeer a fire truck and rescue a handful of survivors, including a critically injured First Lady Marilyn Whitmore. Though they are found by Hiller and taken to Area 51, Marilyn dies shortly after being reunited with her family. On July 4th, taking inspiration from his father, David Levinson writes a computer virus to disrupt the alien, shields, uh, the alien shield operating system and devises a plan to upload it to the mothership from the refurbished alien fighter, which Hiller volunteers to pilot. The U.S. military contacts surviving airborne squadrons around the world through Morse code to organize a united counteroffensive. Lacking pilots, Whitmore and General William Gray enlist volunteers with, with flight experience, including retired combat pilot Russell Casey, to fly the remaining jets at Area 51. Whitmore leads an attack on a saucer bearing down on the base, uh, overseen by Gray. 
Hiller marries Desmond with David and Constance in attendance before Hiller and Levinson leave on their mission. Entering the mothership, they upload the virus to deplore and deploy a nuclear missile, destroying the aliens' reinforcements. With the aliens' shields deactivated, Whitmore's squadron combat the enemy fighters, but they exhaust their, but exhaust their ammunition before they can destroy the saucer. As the saucer prepares to fire on their base, Russell's last missile is unable to fire, and so he must sacrifice himself by crashing into the saucer's weapon, destroying the warship. Military forces worldwide are notified of the alien ship's critical weakness and destroys all the others. As humanity rejoices, Hiller and Levinson reunite with their families. Doing with a you know classic walking down the walking down with the sun in the background and explosions and shit, yada yada yada. It's a Roland Emmerich movie. Okay, if you thought that one was convoluted, welcome to the you know Independence Day resurgence from um, 2016. Sorry. Directed by Roland Emmerich once again. Screenplay by Nicholas Wright, James A. Woods, Dean Devlin once again, Roland Emmerich once again, and James Vanderbilt. Based on characters by Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich from the original movie, obviously. So the cast, somehow just as long if not longer, is made up of Liam Hemsworth as Jake Morrison, Jeff Goldblum once again as David Levinson, Bill Pullman once again as President Thomas Whitmore, Micah Monroe as Patricia Whitmore, daughter of, you know, President Whitmore, Jesse Usher as Dylan Hiller, William Finkner as Gen General Joshua T. Adams, Charlotte Gainsborough as Dr. Catherine Marceau. Judd Hirsch, Judd Hurst once again as uh, Julius Levinson. Brent Sp uh, Spiner as Dr. Brackish Oaken once again. Travis Tope as Charlie Miller. Celia Ward as Elizabeth Lanford. Patrick St. Esprit uh, as Reese Tanner. Angela Baby as Rain Lau. And Vivica A. Fox once again as Jasmine Dubrow Hiller. 20 years after the devastating interstellar war against alien invaders, the United Nations has founded the Earth Space Defense, or ESD, a global defense and research program that reverse engineers alien technology and serves as Earth's early warning system against extraterrestrial threats. I gotta say, honestly, just Earth Space Defense is such a stupid fucking title. Civilization has been restored and relative peace among nations exists following the human race's victory over the alien attacks and major cities around the world, including Washington, D.C., were rebuilt and modernized with amalgamated technologies. After establishing Area 51 as its headquarters, the ESD sets up bases on the Moon, Mars, and Rhea, and orbital defense satellites above Earth, as fortifications against any possible future invasions. ESD Director David Levinson meets with Warlord Dikembe Mbutu and Dr. Catherine Marceau in the African state of Republique Nationale de Mbutu. They travel to a landed alien saucer and discover that the aliens were drilling before then sending a distress signal to their homeworld prior to the defeat in the original movie. It is revealed that people such as the former U.S. President Thomas Whitmore, Dr. Brackish Oaken, and Mbutu are telepathically linked to the alien's collective consciousness, following personal encounters, and have visions of an unidentified spherical object. An unidentified spherical ship emerges from a wormhole near Earth's moon. Despite objections from Levinson, it is destroyed from the orders of the Security Council. Defying orders, American pilots Jake Morrison and Charlie Miller then collect Levinson, Marceau, Mbutu, and U.S. Federal Controller Floyd Rosenberg on a space tug. Basically, just a, just a space truck. They head for the wreckage in the Vandergraaf crater of the moon, where they recover a large container. An alien mothership suddenly then appears over them, responding to the distress call that had been sent out 20 years prior, and proceeds to destroy much of Earth's planetary defenses before landing over the North Atlantic Ocean, where it starts to drill down into the Earth's molten core for fuel that will eventually destroy the planet in the process. Narrowly escaping death, those on board the space tug avoided capture and returned to Area 51. Whitmore, Levinson, and U.S. General Joshua Adams' Adams group interrogate one of the aliens held in captivity at Area 51's prison facility from back during the war. They learn that the aliens exist in a hive mind and that one of their one of their colossal queens is commanding this current invasion. Realizing that they had unknowingly killed a supervising queen before during the first invasion, Levinson hypothesizes that if they kill this one, her forces will cease drilling and go dormant. An ESD aerial fleet, led by Captain Dylan Hiller, son of the Hiller from the previous movie because he doesn't actually show up in this one, um, stages a counterattack, but they are caught in a trap within the mothership, leaving, them, uh, leaving only a few survivors, including Dylan, Jake, Charlie, and fellow ESD lieutenant Chinese pilot Rain Lau. 
In Area 51, Oaken opens the rescued uh, container and releases a giant white sphere of virtual intelligence. The sphere reveals that her mission is to evacuate survivors of a planet of, of refugees from other worlds targeted by the aliens, whom she calls the Harvesters, and unite them in an attack on the Harvesters' home planet. In the mothership, all surviving ESD pilots manage to escape by hijacking enemy craft. Dylan, Jake, Charlie, and Rain navigate two harvester fighters to pursue the Queen's personal ship, which is headed to Area 51 to extract information from the sphere about the refugee planet. It honestly doesn't really talk about what happened to the rest of the guys who were there on the ship with them. They just kind of fuck off and just, I guess, go and have fun on their own. Knowing that the Harvester Queen has become aware of the sphere's location, the ESD hides her in an isolation chamber and uses a decoy and Jake's space tug to lure the Harvester's Queen ship into a trap. Whitmore volunteers to pilot the transport ship on a suicide mission, leading the alien ship, the um, Queen's ship, into a trap before detonating a nuclear warhead bomb, thus destroying the enemy's ship by sacrificing himself. However, the Harvester Queen survives by using an energy shield on her own person, and a battle breaks out around the base. Initially, the ESD's soldiers', we soldiers weapons can't penetrate the Queen's shield, but after the Harvester Queen lowers her shield to fire her own weapon, a critical hit, is hit, a critical hit by Whitmore's daughter Patricia in a, a plane of her own deactivates her shield. This allows Dylan's party, which arrives just in time, to kill her before she can take, take up the sphere. With the Queen gone, all the remaining alien fighters are rendered inactive, while the mothership stops drilling and, and retreats back into space. Oaken reveals that the Sphere has asked humanity to lead her resistance and has offered them new technology in preparing for a potential counterattack on the Harvester's homeworld. Because goddammit, everything needs to be set up as a fucking longer series now. What a what a great summation. I love that final because I, I, I went into the I went into the second one knowing that they wanted to do like Roland Emmerich wanted a series of films to come out of this, but I was like, okay, so how are they gonna end this? Is it like Mario Brothers? levels of it's the sequel and sure enough i will have more to talk about that later i promise <laughs> oh, because yeah. i will once again be i will once again be blaming the greatest scapegoat of the modern movie industry you know who i'm talking about <laughs> avatar no i know what you're talking about um so uh before we get into all that i guess i'll do uh, my first full circle in uh quite a bit i'm sure it's a big one decent we've had bigger Okay, so starting off, Frank Welker, special voice effects in 96's Independence Day. You know him, you love him. We've talked about him in both of the Aladdins, Space Jam 96, Beauty and the Beast 91, and 101 Dalmatians 1996. He, he, he's an animal voice guy. He does, like, weird sounds with his mouth. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> he, uh, we may have covered more movies with him. Now, he might have finally topped uh, Bill Murray, I think, for people we've covered. Um, Fantastic. Following him, uh, John Capadice? Capodice? <laughs> he was Mario I, in 96's Independence Day, so I, I, I'm trying to... Is this Italian? Um, <laughs> I would assume Capodice. Capodice. Uh, he, well, he was Mario in 96's Independence Day, and he was also an army officer in uh, my favorite, Jacob's Ladder, 1990. Judd Hirsch, of course, taxi favorite, uh, was Julius Levinson in both Independence Days we're discussing today. He also played himself in 2011's The Muppets. Pat Skipper has been in a number of these, he, uh, but always in smaller-based roles. A redneck in the original Independence Day, he played the director in uh, 91's Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, uh, and was Mason Strode, actually, in Rob Zombie's Halloween movie, the first one, that is. Rance Howard was a chaplain in 96's Independence Day. He was a spokesman for Feed the Earth in 2001's Rat Race, so, uh, you know, very end of the movie, literally last five minutes of the movie, uh, Rance Howard appears. Favorite Robert Loja was General William Gray in both Independence Day movies that we're discussing today. He was also Frank Lopez in the uh, 83 Brian De Palma Scarface. 
Did he show? Did he show up in the in the in the sequel that we did? Oh, well, he did. Very, very briefly quick role. on stage at the uh, celebration. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Just like a little cameo, more than anything. I was surprised he bothered, but they probably gave him a decent check. I hope so. <laughs> All um, you do is fucking sit there and be military esque. It's not hard. Not even say anything. Uh, um, Tom Barry was SETI Tech Two in Independence Day. He was James Jordan of the Michael Jordan family in 96's Space Jam. Hey, well, I, I can't, for whatever reason, I didn't really think that he wasn't actually his son, part of the family, but okay. <laughs> I don't even, I don't remember that character's name, and I, I was thinking back to the family in the first Space Jam, and I was like, maybe? Like, I remember a little kid. I don't think that would have been a SETI Tech 2 in the 90s, so I don't know who that is. I was making a joke. I don't know if it's a member of the family or not, but they share the same last name. Uh, Chin Han was Commander Zhang Lao, Jiang Lao in uh, Independence Day Resurgence. Uh, he was Tokusa in the much maligned 2017 Ghost in the Shell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that actor has been in a bunch of like random things that are like he his own performance is pretty damn good, but the things he shows up in have been kind of middling. Yeah, what a, what a shame. I'll have to look at more more stuff with him in because I I certainly don't recognize the name, but he played Shao Kahn in the new uh, Mortal Kombat movie I know that oh I have not seen that I've been waiting for an episode excuse to watch it uh, maybe in the future who knows hey. Diobia Oberai Oberai uh, he played Dikembe big role in Independence Day Resurgence uh, he was TJ the paramedic in 2012's Dread oh yeah that's where I recognize him from weirdly and uh, the big one perhaps Will Smith as Captain Stephen Hiller in 96's Independence Day we saw him recently as the genie in 2019's Aladdin. Quite the jump. A big jump, yes. I guess that's why he didn't show up in 2016's Independence Day Resurgence, because he was busy prepping for the role. He knew. Disney plans this stuff out in advance. They have phases, Stu. Yeah. Yeah. Or he recognized <laughs> that this was going to be a steaming pile of shit. But, well, <laughs> it, it, well I, I, I give too hard of an opinion this early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess I'll give my thoughts. I don't know how to transition. That was the last of Full Circle, by the way. Um, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, please give me a, a moment to rest the vocal cords because, Jesus, these plots are weirdly convoluted. Very well. Okay. <clears throat> Big thing I'm putting out there. Both of these movies are horrendously stupid. One of them yeah. much stupider than the other. Um, I don't... I'm honestly curious as to which one is the stupider one. Oh, trust me. I, I, have, I have thoughts on this. I oddly don't hate either of these. Now, yeah, I, that's, I've that's seen, reasonable, honestly. Yeah, I've seen Independence Day before, and I knew it was dumb, but it's 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 weird. It's early enough Roland Emmerich that it feels like it's not just disaster porn. There there is actual you know to middling effects. There is actual story thrown in there, um, but I think that's because it's just early enough in his career that he didn't get completely swept away. Because I mean, just two years after this is his take on Godzilla with Matthew Broderick, and that's a horrendous mm-hmm. pile. Um, yeah, my God, that wasn't so much as a movie released as a crime committed. <laughs> yeah, so much so that uh, I believe uh, I forget what it was. Godzilla two thousand, maybe that was too recent. But they killed the American Godzilla in one of the official Japanese Godzillas following that movie. Um, that is so fucking fantastic, and I love the so Japanese long. film industry. I love the Japanese <laughs> film industry, and the community around the brief brief sideline. The community around the fucking Godzilla movies is the fucking best. <laughs> Yes, uh, it was Godzilla 2000, Godzilla, Godzilla Millennium, it, it was something like that. But yes, I'm, I'm aware yeah. of that as well. But um, yeah, as far as the actual movies go, I don't dislike it. And as convoluted as it is, um, I, I even referenced it as a Grand Canyon-style plot, referencing that movie. 
um, before we uh, turn the mics on, so to speak, because I, I like it when there's all these different characters doing different things that then all intersect at a point. Um, mm. I, I'm not sure why, because I, I'm, I'm aware I've had this discussion with both of my parents when talking about movies. Uh, I, I know a lot of people don't like that because they find it too convoluted and too confusing, but uh, for me, I, I don't know. I find it enjoyable because we get to see all these different aspects of things coming together. And um, it, 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 they do that in both of these uh, to much less effect in Resurgence, I think. But yeah, um, um, I, I, yeah, I was kind of thinking about that for a bit. It's like, it feels like a lot of things were to a lesser effect in Resurgence, honestly, but I'll, get, I'll detail that more later. <laughs> yeah, it, just because there are things that definitely intertwine. It just doesn't feel like... It doesn't feel as well thought out, and I think that's why a lot of these characters end up meeting up in the... It almost feels like a lot of these people start in either the same place or in a slightly related place. They meet up in the first act, or at the end of the first act, and then they all go to different locations. The only character that's... There's two exceptions to that rule, and that's Judd Hirsch's character driving a busload of kids across the desert uh, to meet up with uh, his son, played by Jeff Goldblum. And hey, Real quick, um, what was the... F- just like a really quick aside, what was the fucking point of that entire side plot? Not much, because he honestly... Look, I love Judd Hirsch, and I really like him in the first movie, but he basically does nothing in this uh, second yeah, movie. Like, there, there's no reason for like him to he, be there. Uh, yeah, like, them showing up there at the end, like, kind of just getting caught in the middle of things, it truly, if you... Like, with a very small exception of the fact that he gives, you know, Dr. Levinson a ride out of the area, there's no point to it. It's I guess that's it's just true. A, it's just like to be like, oh, right. hey... It's just like, oh, hey, the sassy, you know, Jewish father figure doesn't die, so it's, it's, you know, we have to give him a point in the movie. It's like, man, he could have, like, he could have just gotten killed off. Like, I think no one would have raised an eyebrow. The fact that he survived a tidal wave the size of a city, he's like, what the hell? Which, um, okay, um, it's it's related but weird tangent. Uh, okay, so to finish a thought before people get pissed, um, the two exceptions are him doing that, and then there's a a boat full of people uh, that were searching for gold, and they get interrupted in searching for gold, and. They end up being uh, the recon team for $100 million to spy on the progress of the ship extracting Molten Core. Those are the two exceptions of, because they're either meeting up with the main plot or they're completely removed entirely. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, again, another point that was just kind of like they could have just had anything doing that. They had to have this whole side plot of like, oh, yeah, these skeevy sailors are going to be able to get paid. So now, they were completely the- inconsequential. I don't think any of them had names. And if they did, I certainly didn't write them down. But uh, I, yeah, no, I don't, think they, I don't think they ever actually said anything. Um. Talking about killing off John Hirsch's... Sorry, go on. Who are they even talking to, by the way? Like, they just kind of got a vague call about, like, oh, hey, if there's a ship in the area, we need you to look at this. And he says for $100 million. And it takes, like, three seconds for them to say done. It's like, I figured he was just talking to a guy in the Coast Guard, not the people running this shit. Like, how the fuck did that get approved? I I assume because we're being invaded by aliens that are, like, destroying everything. It's like the girl says uh, to her brother when he's like, you don't have your license. She's like, I don't think we're going to get pulled over. It's like, I think I can authorize spending $100 million on these sailors. Um, and it seems like there was like a radio transmission that was put out by the command center at area 51 that they intercepted because the guy comes down and says, they're looking for someone to, uh, someone in the area that can do this recon. We're the only people alive. And that's when the captain's mm-hmm. like, yeah, for a hundred million dollars. <laughs> um, you know what that boat entire boat thing really just makes me think they really just had the whole plot of they're drilling out the core, but I didn't actually think of any practical reason to be able to show there to be another like ticking clock element. So they had to add them later. It just yeah. truly feels like they just kind of like were an afterthought. I can see that. I can see that. But, um, oh, I have thought. Shit. Oh, now I remember. Now I remember. <laughs> just because I don't want to lose the thread of killing off the Judd Hirsch, Hirsch character. It it, right. it it feels weird, right? 
that they didn't do that because they had no qualms about killing off characters in the original Independence Day. But this movie has a real aversion to doing it unless they're characters you don't give a shit about or they do it off screen before the movie starts. Like with Will Smith. Yeah. Like I. Yeah. And then they kill the mom bizarre. character of the of like of like like the person like the you know the wife of the Will Smith character. They just yeah. kind of kill her off just kind of nonchalantly. Like they didn't have to. Like I know it's meant to be like meant to make it more of an emotional impact for the main character, one of the main characters. But still, I was just kind of like, what? Um, Killing kill, and they kill Bill Pullman, which actually does kind of work. Uh, yeah. It feels like a completion of that arc just carried over from the first movie because you know I understand PTSD. It just it just triggered apparently over the course of the two decades separating these two films. And now he's having night terrors because the aliens contacted his brain in that one scene, uh, the interrogation scene. So, um, I don't know. He gets to have another hero moment, uh, a big one. Uh, it's unfortunate that it doesn't do much. I guess it destroys the ship, uh, but it doesn't take care of the queen. So I don't know. I, yeah. I think that's all right. <laughs> I will say like to, to be able to, to be able to give the chance of actually talking about, um, the original as well. It doesn't make it seem like we're not shitting on that. There are yes. also a bunch of characters who are just as inconsequential feeling in the first one. Um, okay. Where it's like, at the very least, it feels like they try to flesh out a few things, make the world feel a bit more real with it. But there's like the guy working with, um, oh, hell, I know, immediately forgotten his name. Uh, Jeff, yeah, Jeff Goldblum's character, Dave, uh, David Levinson, um, who's like the very, the very kind of like stereotypical, the, the joke of the nineties being like, Oh, a gay person exists. Um, which they then kind of do again in uh, the in like in Resurgence, where uh, it turns out that um, you know the doctor uh, Doctor Oaken ha actually has, is actually uh, married to a, a man who, who you know in good old fashioned Hollywood tradition, say. good old good old bury your gays trope. They kill him kind of inconsequentially, and then like, he seems oh, yeah, to get over it pretty quick. Alive. Yeah, <laughs> like there was no necessity. Like, come on, the guy like the character Doctor Oaken was like probably the closest thing to a genuine ray of sunshine in this entire fucking series like why the fuck do you have to do, and do that that was unnecessary um, so i i want to anyway. say oh, yeah. because that is who i've been trying to get to this whole time <laughs> talking oh, yeah. about talking about judd hirsch i've been trying to get to and i knew you were going to bring him up because he is kind of the most inconsequential character introduced in the first one that feels like he could have more to do yeah and it's um for, for those who haven't seen it in a while or don't remember this is harvey firestein or firestein yeah. firestein Ooh, i can never remember um and, of course, for the uninitiated, uh, he was big in theater, uh, Torch Song trilogy, he was in Mrs. Doubtfire, he uh, voiced the short soldier in both of the Mulan movies. He's very funny. Um, and I love his voice, too. I just wish he'd stayed alive longer. He has so much... I find, yeah, I find him funny, and that's a good amount of levity that they could have in the in the movie. Like, I know he can be hammy. He's like, why'd I send my mother to Atlanta? But it's... I enjoy yeah. him. And they kill him off way too early. He, he could have yeah, been doing anything. Yeah, the first one has a really had a really big thing about like within the first act or maybe like partway through the second act of just killing off a strangely high number of either comedic relief or otherwise kind of like, you know, foils to one of the main characters. Like we have the one lady who is um like the stripper lady alongside um you know, the girlfriend character hell, I need to find her name again. Uh the Jasmine Dubrow kind of, you know, stripper dancer character. She goes up to like the one of the tops of the the, basically the site of the attack in Los Angeles and gets blowed up. We have obviously Firestein's character. Yep. We obviously have Firestein's character who gets killed in New York during the first explosion. And then there's like the a friend character to, you know, Captain Hiller's um like for Captain Hiller, like who's another pilot who's kind of oh, meant to yeah. just be this dopey comic relief who then gets killed off pretty quick whenever they start trying to like attack directly against the alien ships. Um so there's like 
it does a lot of these things i feel like are it's trying to raise the stakes and trying to make it you know seem more dangerous but it's just kind of like it, they do it with all the characters that literally no one was gonna miss it feels like with the possible exception of Firestein. um <laughs> I, I, he's in my heart always <laughs> oh now and forever um and don't forget so, sorry I, I i forgot don't forget he he is also it is very haha gay but at least it's not a straight guy pretending to be gay because Firestein's very gay, gay. Yeah. oh absolutely at least they yes. did that um but it, it is the classic you know 90s thing where like Oh, these are topics that are now kind of like things we can kind of talk about with someone just get, without someone just getting like immediately shot. Let's make a joke about it, um, which like you know fucking <laughs> with someone not getting shot anymore because those things. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, but yeah, it's it, it, there's a lot of characters. I'm sure I'm missing a few. Like there's a general character that you know briefs uh, Will Smith's character early on who gets kind of killed off off screen. There's the wife of the president who you know dies pretty inconsequentially. It's meant to be kind of a sad moment, but it. There's a lot of attempts at making the characters more human in the original, and it really just kind of falls flat. And then compare that with Resurgence, where it doesn't seem like they make the effort hardly at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it really just feels like all these characters are really, if not flat, at least just kind of boring and kind of lacking any real soul to them. Where it just the it seemed like the one emotional heart there they were trying to kind of bank on was the one with um, Liam Hemsworth's character and Micah Monroe's character being like fiancés and everything. But they have yeah. them separate the entire movie. They only reunite again there at the very end. And it's like the relationships in love, like the the, the, the relationships on screen in the original one were genuinely charming at times. They're like, okay, yeah, this feels like a decent couple. They genuinely love each other. It's just actually kind of raising the stakes. We barely see anything like that in Resurgence with the exception of Oaken, who then has his character, his love character die. It's like, uh -huh. okay, what? It's <laughs> like, like, oh, he's gay. This character will have a long life, I'm sure. Yeah. Which like I knew at the end of the day, like something was going to happen. I was still hoping, but so it's just it really just doesn't feel like they really attempted to kind of bring back any amount of humanity to a lot of these characters even um you know uh whitmore's character kind of ends up kind of getting a shorter a shorter end of the personality stick by the end it's like yeah he has kind of the cleanup moment he becomes a pilot again to blow himself up and stuff it's like even still he just never really kind of recaptures the gusto that he seemed to be able to project in the original which i know obviously the you know progression of time but still like the guy was <laughs> his speech in the first one's probably one of the more iconic you know movie speeches in history at this point it's yeah it's very famous but so a strange thing is too it, it's nice that he got like his hero moment and that they sort of closed off that arc but it, it felt weird to me what they were doing with the current uh president uh i, I forgive me i don't have the oh, actress's yeah. name in front of me but this 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 uh this woman is the current know. president in the movie yeah please look that up while i'm yeah rambling. uh, uh uh, um, Sela, uh, Sela or Sela Ward, I think, plays Elizabeth Lanford, the president. So she plays the president in this movie, and she's not like a heartless person or anything. She doesn't seem to be like some evil politician, and her mistakes seem to be... I, I don't know. She she makes mistakes that are similar to mistakes that you could argue Pullman made in the original movie, but she gets a much rawer deal in favor of Pullman being able to come back as sort of a pseudo-president, while this other guy is also like... You're you're officially president now because literally everybody else in the in the line of secession was killed at this base, um, which is unfortunate because like so when this orb crashes on the moon, this orb that is key to their survival and that the alien locust creatures really want to destroy, she orders that they shoot it down, even though Goldblum's saying not to. And I'd argue, given that this is the first like extraterrestrial thing they've seen since the species was almost wiped out, out I'd argue that's a sensible decision. Uh, but the movie seems yeah. to be really against this woman, and I don't quite understand why. She's not like a bitch, 
Also, like, well, to actually to that end, in the fucking description of her care in the character listing for the cast on Wikipedia, it says, uh, Cilla Ward as Elizabeth Lanford, president of the United States. She lost her family during the first invasion, and this loss made her suspicious of anything coming from space. Does that was that ever well, even mentioned? One, I don't think so. Maybe there was a graphic novel released or something, a, a Tops comic. But what? Not only was that never mentioned, but are we to believe that there has been something else that has come from space in the past 20 years? Yeah. She's suspicious of anything that comes from space. Oh, so the locusts and a big ball. Yeah, I would be do a big ball. Yeah, like, yeah, they really did kind of just do that character during, like, there was no need. Like, they, they really, I mean, yeah, you're right. It really is just meant to be, like, kind of a foil and kind of reason for the Whitmore character to be able to kind of step back up. Um, but it's just, like, it just seems so unnecessary. Like, I, I, for the life of me, was trying to kind of figure out what message they were going for with resurgence when it came to younger generations and older generations, because there was a lot of moments where it really did feel like it was trying to say, you know, with all the like, you know, kind of previous movie characters either dying or nearly getting killed. Um, it really felt like it was trying to say, hey, problems of the new age, the previous generation for as much as they did before will not be the ones to save us. It will be the current generation. But then it like keeps wanting to wrap it back around itself and just be like, actually, the older generation has all the cool wisdom and all the most badass moments. So we're just going to keep relying on them. It's like, because, you know, uh, Goldblum's character ultimately kind of has the, you know, end saving plan of the day. Oaken has his whole moment of, you know, figuring everything out. Um, Whitmore gets to have his time in the spotlight there at the end. To the point where all the newer characters, all the younger characters and everything, they basically all have to share a tiny pool of personality. It's like, they hardly did shit by comparison. I, I'll, I'll say that they technically succeed by being the, the two ships um, piloted by these four new characters uh, are the ones that end up killing the queen in the very end. But there was a lot of uh, roadway paved by all the older characters to get to that point uh, to oh, which yeah. it feels to, to which point it feels like those character, those new characters are inconsequential until the last possible second. Yeah. It really just, yeah, it's something one of those characters, it really says something when the description in a plot, like the plot synopsis, it doesn't even mention the Mike and Monroe, like the daughter of the president character until the moment where she first shoots the queen's shields out. That's literally it. It doesn't mean, like, otherwise she's inconsequential to the plot and she's just meant to kind of be set dressing. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's just like, I, honestly, like, really? Um, and the thing is, they open up the world so much and they add in so many other details that I'm like, I want these stories. Like the whole thing about um, Dikembe and his whole plight. Like he took over as a warlord previously from his father who were waging a war against aliens that had actually landed on Earth. There was a whole thing where they kind of just brush over that there's an entire like sub war going over for the last like 20 years to the point where they have understanding of their languages and like methods of knowing how to kill these guys and everything where it's like, there's a whole world that they're expanding out with a ton of character and a ton of genuine interest to it. And we get these guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I respect for what this movie was trying to do. I really, really do like that. They instead, like I was so convinced that when I first heard that there was going to be a sequel, that it was just going to be like, basically just the world is how it is now. And it will basically have ignored the potential that it comes from like all this alien technology, but no, they actually roll ran with it. And it was like, Hey, what if they rebuilt society with this new technology in mind? And then they still somehow end up building the Burj Khalifa at one point, which was like kind of weird. Um, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I really liked where it was going and like all these different descriptions, all these different characters that are getting introduced. I was like, man, this is really cool. We're going to expand on a lot of like very interesting characters. And then we just don't, we get these milk toast guys that are barely integral to the plot. And then we just keep wrapping back to the original characters. It's like, the, the, the point of a sequel, like the point of a remake or the long overdue sequel, which 
Again, if you've watched the show, we equate the two because they're exactly the fucking same. It's it's, hmm. it's just it's, it's it's making a movie that is entire. It's whose basis is based on nostalgia. It's not doing it to continue a story that needed to be finished. Um, but the entire point of it, at the end of the day, should be to expand on what the original did on its own, or to make do things better than the original had done. And this one came so dang close in so many different situations, but it always just kind of fell flat. Like. I think the biggest thing that annoyed me about it was just there was no real sense of scale in the new one. Like, despite the fact that they made this, like, oh, this whole ship that's basically the size of a continent, it didn't really feel particularly bigger than the, the city's killer ships in the original because of how they were projected, how much we got to see of it, how much of the practical effects that worked alongside of it. It truly made these things feel massive and devastatingly powerful. This new one's just kind of like, oh, there's new lasers and stuff, and there's a... You know, there's there's some there's some people kind of there's like there's like lasers and stuff. There's like a whole like environment inside the ship that's like so we can have like some Vietnam War flashback things, and it's just it never really grips you, and so it just doesn't get that kind of visceral feel to it. And I guess also with that comes the fact that with the new like advanced technology, you can't have stuff like jet combat and stuff where it's just straight up actual jets and shit, which are cool and exciting, and you actually get to see kind of practical effects alongside them. As it is, it's just kind of a CG'd mess. Yeah. Which I, I will hype up the original for that fact. It uses a lot of like practical stuff for some of the aliens, and it uses models that get destroyed. You know, yeah, like it kind of set the bar. Yeah, it kind of set the bar at the time for you know big destruction movies, like the big like disaster movie of like, hey, here's actually the sky, like the Empire State getting blown up. Here's actually the White House getting blown up. It's like, yeah, that's a shocking image. It's like, wow, it's actually really cool. You just don't really. We kind of get like one city sort of two city destruction scenes when the mothership first arrives in the sequel but they're even then it's kind of like were they destroyed or were they just kind of like consequentially blown up because of like all the stuff that they were doing with like the gravity which they could sort of turn off it seemed like yeah i don't understand that they really did they did not they did not make that clear at all i'd like to point out too for listeners for better or worse this movie did revitalize the entire concept of a disaster movie because we were completely inundated with these in the 60s and 70s with things like the Poseidon Adventure and Airport, Volcano, the Towering Inferno, like all these movies that are just like, oh, the sh- a ship is sinking. How do these people survive? Or this building's on fire. Uh, we got to get everybody out. And those died off for a while. And this is kind of the movie that brought them back, specifically with Roland Emmerich, because that's now that's all he fucking does. That's every movie he does is the world is ending um, just in a different way. So um, and also very similar. Way. Was he involved in Moonfall? He did. Was Moonfall. he that his thing? Okay, yeah, just making sure, because thinking more, thinking more on this, I haven't seen Moonfall, I've just seen a synopsis of it, because I was just like, there's no way I'm paying to see this movie, but it is absolutely absurd, <laughs> it's like, you need to know what happens. But thinking on it, it's almost, in a lot of ways, dead identical to the plot of Resurgence. Like, the whole thing with, like, giant, massive object coming down close to Earth, fucking with gravity and stuff, the whole thing where the whole thing's, like, this evil, all-consuming presence that's defeated by a benevolent AI and then it has a like cliffhanger saying like, oh, now we get to take the fight to them with the help of the AI. Like it's almost point for point in a larger scale the same. I decided I would not be seeing that movie in theaters because I got the trailer for it multiple times before other movies. And they use fucking Bad Moon Rising in the trailer. Yeah. And I was like, get bent. Yeah. How awful. <laughs> like I couldn't help but like respect it a little when I heard that. But in the sense of like, man, you guys truly just like just jumped both feet into the unironically this didn't you do not care whatsoever yeah 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 i just i wanted to enjoy it the concept of it just because it was again it was so freaking absurd but like yeah not even looking at the synopsis like man even by absurd movies this is stupid and not to not to retread ground already but 
you were discussing confusion, and as convoluted as the plot in the original can be at times, I personally was able to follow it pretty well. I knew where all the characters were at any given time. I knew how they were interacting. And that's one of the reasons I really don't dislike the first movie. It's really corny, but I think a lot about it does work. But Resurgence confounded me to no end. I just didn't know what was going on a lot of the time. There's the scene where the new characters end up... They try an assault on on one of the ships, but they end up sort of getting down. And then they awaken in like this swampy area fighting the aliens and i i was actively watching this movie i was engaged i was not like doing dishes while i was watching this and i was just like i don't know what the fuck's going on i don't know where we are i don't know what we're doing and yeah i stayed in that zone for like 15 minutes and uh, there's other things okay slight story relating back to the top of this podcast because jurassic park but um in jurassic park uh jeff goldblum plays Dr. Ian Malcolm, and the scene where the T-Rex gets out and is attacking the vehicles, he leads it away with a flare. And Mm. he ends up getting uh, nearly crushed in a pile of debris, but he survives. And the reason he survives in the movie is because his character tested well with audiences, which is why he doesn't really do much in the latter half of the movie. Um, He's just, he's alive, but, you know, he's healing um, with the Richard Attenborough uh, character um, in this basement. Um, In the books, he dies. But he lives in the movie, and then when The Lost World comes out, Spielberg talks to Crichton, he's like, you need to write a book before this movie starring Jeff Goldblum as Ian Malcolm comes out. And Crichton's like, I killed him. And Spielberg's like, like, you need to write the book. So in The Lost World book, Ian Malcolm has a throwaway line of dialogue like, oh, the doctor did good work. To, to show that instead of dying in the first novel, he survived. Now, how does that relate to what the fuck I'm talking about? Well, I don't understand why Oaken needed to be a character in Resurgence at all. There was nothing that led me to believe he could have possibly survived in the first movie after being attacked by the alien. For all intents and purposes, unless I missed something very important, he is just dead. Yeah, it's, and it's worth mentioning for clarity that in the original one, he gets used basically like I, like the thing I mentioned before with uh, Love, Death, and Robots, basically as like the microphone for these aliens. Like they project their voice through him. Um, and in the scene where that happens, it pretty clearly shows that he's basically a corpse when they're doing this to him. They basically strangle him to death. And even after the fact, when they kill the alien controlling him, it shows pretty clearly that he is dead, though they never directly say it. It's pretty clear that like, okay, yeah, he's laying there. Someone tries to take his pulse and they just kind of look dire with it. So it's it. But instead, apparently he is put into a coma that lasts until the beginning of the new movie. And then he wakes up because the presence of the new alien um, ship coming in, it like re-triggers his brain, which now has a direct link with, you know, the alien hive mind so yeah which are which that relates to what i was talking about because that's another thing in the new movie i found confusing but less for a plot related reason and more for a i don't really know what he's adding to this reason like there are clearly other scientists there that can like operate these lasers like did they really just want to get a gay person in the movie that they could kill off like harvey firestein so easily were they that desperate that they had to introduce this relationship like i don't understand this could have been anybody yeah, I think like ultimately the part that he becomes consequential is when he starts like rambling, like writing the alien language on the walls, and that kind of gives them context for the sphere, like the the AI character, um, because like it can then be trans- translated by Dikembe. But the fact, like they could have, I guess so. they could have had that language written in other places, written by other people who had suffered from these conditions, like and the fact that they find Dikembe and he has that intimate knowledge of the language could then still be shown. It didn't have to come from uh, from Oaken. 
It could have been found on so, a wall in that cave that they were exploring at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Like, I don't know. So, yeah, it's just, it's just like a, a lot of really weird character decisions. Yeah. And ultimately, that that's why I'm putting my vote in the 2022 podcasty elections for Independence Day. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I didn't, I, I didn't really Have care you... for resurgence. It, it, it... Yeah. I yeah, it, it's it's the same thing that we came across uh, not too long ago with the 2019 Jacob's Ladder, where it's like there's some really cool stuff in here that isn't like being fully utilized. Um, and I know we disagree on Dread 2012, but I kind of that's how I kind of feel about that movie too, uh, because right, I thought yeah, parts I mean, were confusing, I, yeah. and there's like cool things that I wish they did better. Um, not to this level, I right. think I think Dread's better than this, but um, oh yeah, yeah. I, I it's, it's 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 a, it's a similar it's a similar case where I. I still have weird thoughts about the original movie. I think Harvey Firestein could have been used better. I think the dialogue is pretty hokey. Ultimately, I don't think that... <laughs> um, why am I blanking on his name? Which character? Uh, the pilot that gets abducted. Fuck. Oh, uh, Randy Quaid character. Randy Quaid. Why couldn't I think of Randy Quaid? He's crazy. He ran to Canada. Anyways. What? <laughs> um, I hear he's back in the States, by the way. Um, but yeah, all the stuff with Brandy Quaid, I feel is kind of pointless too, but ultimately I think the movie is just better put together and it utilizes what it has to a better extent. Whereas Resurgence introduces a lot of things that they don't take advantage of in the slightest. Uh, the closest being that society has sort of updated with this tech. It's, it's cool to see these, uh, ships flying around in the low atmosphere because I totally went into this thinking it was just going to be contemporary 2016, uh, which it is not. Uh, yeah. And that is cool. We have like a moon base now with that stupid name, uh, Earth Space Defense. But yeah, uh, it seems yeah, like it, Tugs are the name of the fifth. Weird name yeah, for a lot of these. A lot things. of weird naming. Yeah, a lot of weird naming conventions. Um, and okay, yeah, I, I, yeah, my, my mine's pretty similar. Um, the original one, I still in like my heart of hearts, kind of love unironically. Like I've I've watched it a bunch of times over my life at this point. Um, that I just had this kind of stupid love for it just because like it, it doesn't try to do anything extreme. You know, it doesn't try to do anything beyond itself. Um, it just says, Hey, this would be crazy. Here's some decent, genuinely nice character moments to kind of knit it all together. And there's your lot. Um, and then the, with resurgence, like you said, it's all the stuff where they just, they expand on that and they kind of bring in this world that would be really interesting to explore more. Like I would have loved to have seen like a limited series kind of centered on this world. Like we get to see more of these characters. We get to see more about like the Kembe's whole deal. Um, and just like how this world, how a world would respond in the face of what was at the time apocalypse and then advance and become better as a result of it. But at the same time with that, because of the stupid fucking ending where like in the original <laughs> one, it just it has a pretty decent ending where it's like, okay, cool. It, they're standing in the Mojave desert. They're watching like debris rain down and there's fire and everything. It's a pretty cool iconic shot. It's hard to beat that. The, uh, the way that resurgence ends the final shot is Oaken basically being having his dopey ass standing there saying, we're going to go kick some alien ass and just putting up another stupid freaking sequel hook for the inevitably not going to happen franchise that just has to exist because of fucking Marvel. Because everything has to be leading into some grander adventure, some grander thing where it can't just be a one and done thing of that was cool. We can actually have an actual freaking ending where it's actually like things wrap up in a satisfying manner. Instead, we just have to leave it like this again to the sequel that will never, ever be. I'm just so damn sick of it. I just, I can't, like, I, I want to like this movie more, 
But the fact that everything feels like it's trying to invest for the future means that no one actually wants to try doing anything now. And so it's all just like, oh, we'll do something grander in the next sequel, so we can't do something cool here. It's like, no, just do the cool thing now. And if there is, there's, if a sequel's meant to be, it'll happen. It's just, as it stands, we have such a milk toast movie that nothing is memorable about it. The most memorable parts of it are the things that they never take advantage of, like with all the advanced technology and everything. It's just such a damn waste of time. I'm honestly, given the state of Hollywood and how everything is sort of a grab for franchise potential and see i'm surprised they didn't go ahead and start production on a third independence day movie because this movie was maligned but it yeah. technically did decent at the box it, it made back like triple its budget so it, it's yeah. not like it failed financially but it's like i'm surprised a studio didn't jump on that because studios aren't one to back down because audiences hate it they don't really give a shit yeah my, my thinking is probably like what few human souls actually were still left in that production team that post-production team decided maybe let's not do that and instead they just went to make moonfall and decided hey let's try to hedge our bets with this near identical yeah. plot but this time it's done slightly different and with the guy from game of thrones as the main like foil character where it's like oh yeah he's not doing anything anymore um <laughs> but like it just that one didn't do that one had its own issues and like, like i said i've seen bits from it where it's like it takes itself less seriously at least but also that doesn't make it good it's still bad it's still yeah so you have quippy less... whedon dialogue about listening to a podcast and well, I guess he hosts a podcast. God, I just like every I, I'm so fucking sick of Whedon dialogue. I'm so absolutely sick to death of Whedon. And by now, by extension, Marvel dialogue of just like everything has to be quippy. Everything has to be like a tongue in cheek, eye rolling reference to whatever's going on at the time. Just like I'm, I'm so tired. I'm Take tired it seriously. Of Take <laughs> things fucking seriously. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Even like with, you know, like the Lord of the Rings, like the Lord of the Rings took itself seriously. Then the Hobbit didn't. It had fucking weed and dialogue and it was stupid. I don't care what anyone says. The the Hobbit movies were bad. Just like, I hate this whole thing. Of like this trying to redo the thing. Of like, oh, they were actually pretty good for the time. It's like, no, they weren't. They were objectively bad. They were CG to hell and the dialogue was shit. I saw all of those in theaters, all three of those Hobbit movies, just because, uh, I, I don't know. I felt committed to it at that point because I felt sad that I never got the chance to see Lord of the Rings on the big screen. And each time I was disappointed. It's just, it was bad. Like, I just, I'm so, I'm so done with it all. I'm just so done with this just lack of giving a damn about what's going on, on screen. That it's, that the, like, the what few actually, like, beautiful, well, actual few, not even beautiful, just decent dialogues written comes out and it feels like a diamond in the rough. It's, it's, just, I'm, ugh. and I'm never going to stop complaining about it. I know we're going to have more movies that are going to do this exact thing, but my no. God, there were some good movies we've seen on the show. Like, even modern ones like with uh, like uh, Blade Runner twenty forty two or forty five I can't remember what it was forty nine um, oh that was forty nine thank you that one was great and the dialogue was genuine like there was levity to it but they weren't just being quippy and assholes the whole time they were actually like living creatures and living humans and it's like like imagine like actual artistic integrity and desire to make a good product what a concept and that was Villeneuve who just did Dune and is gonna do Dune too so we'll be talking about yeah. him again on the show soon yeah, so thank you Villeneuve so th thank you Villeneuve despite how at times a bit over the top some of the movies can be that you do that you actually have like integrity when it comes to content in it uh, just, i'm so just sick of it all and i say that as if the original independence day wasn't quippy as hell but you know what it did it with such a like genuine desire behind the words they were saying that it's, it was hard to malign it like just the whole welcome to earth after punching an alien in the face it's like all right fine yeah you earned that one <laughs> not to mention 
my main pro I promise we'll get off of this soon. I just want to complete this yeah. <laughs> thought. I know we're rambling, but we gotta get the vitriol out sometimes, people. It it builds up. <laughs> it's been a month been a that month. we haven't like actively had a long conversation with each other. The the yeah. quippiness that really the thing that bothers me about the quippiness, one, a lot of the jokes are unoriginal because it's basically breaking the fourth wall without looking at the camera and just commenting on the situation instead of living in it. But another thing that gets me is that it just it breaks down the personality it doesn't matter what the personality of any of these characters are, it's the same dialogue. They were quippy to an extent with these lines in the original Independence Day, but they weren't all like saying the same sort of things. It was tailored to their personalities. It didn't feel like, oh, that was a weird thing for Jeff Goldblum's character to say. I don't know that I believe that. You know, he wasn't saying the welcome to Earth type stuff alongside Will Smith. Yeah. Like, like a like, lot of these the new person... movies, it's like all these characters should just be the same thing. They're all the same person because they all say the same shit all the time. It's just it's just the modern fear of like studios not wanting to make anything that could even potentially offend an audience goer for like oh this person shouldn't like have this kind of attitude or whatever the hell it's like basically if min basically if corporate minimalism was also in a you know production status like you know the McDonald like we, you know when McDonald's used to kind of like look all like weird and campy and dirty but at least had personality versus now it looking like a you know basically just a college dorm bathroom. <laughs> I have an Arby's next to me that got remodeled recently, and it looks like modern Taco Bell. It's just a giant white building with small red text at the top right corner that says Arby's. <laughs> it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> the whole world yeah. will be white boxes. I want to blame Apple for that one, but honestly, at least they even had their own style going on. It just, yeah, <laughs> this all, there's all this stuff mainly just because it's cheaper. Yeah, I trust you as an architectural person. But just oh, looking yeah. at it, it's easy to like. At least Apple's was that was kind of like an aesthetic too. Oh yeah, there's a difference but, between actual capital M minimalism and whatever this corporate form of minimalism is. Because it's just like, you know, one it's a very distinct design ethos. The other is just hey, what if they, we just sanded down the edges to the point where no one can get offended by it? Yeah. Um, but that was that was uh, talking fast food. Um, yeah, fast. <laughs> that, that was talking about the but, death of you know the death of culture and art. Uh, I was having. Oh, yeah. I, I won't get into this conversation, but I was having a discussion the other day about how we used to have a monoculture, and now it's it, it's strange because when it comes to media, we don't have that anymore because there's too many options. Yet it still almost feels like a monoculture because a lot of the options are really fucking similar. <laughs> yep. Every every fast food place has a chicken sandwich now. <laughs> every single Popeyes. one. Or Chick Fil A or whichever one. I don't fucking care anymore. Yeah. Anyone, I, anyone I've seen who's all like, "Oh, I like this particular brand in like a very particular fashion." At a certain point, I just have to be like, "But like, are they really unique? Are they truly?" Because I've gotten things that are very similar. I've gotten food very similar at other places. It's okay. We can just <laughs> we need to stop caring about these brands because they don't care about us. Well, Popeye chicken sandwiches are crispier. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> just just uh, read the socials before I implode. <laughs> do you do you guys out there? Do you have thoughts on fast food and uh, the uh, the death or rebirth, as it were, of the monoculture? Go ahead and email us. They remade it at gmail.com with all your thoughts on Taco Bell and Arby's. Uh, or if you have any thoughts about the podcast, suggestions for future episodes, things we're doing right, things we're doing wrong, you know, those sort of things are appreciated too. Um, yeah, we, we always love to hear from the what is what is essentially just a very niche corner of, of Facebook that now that Facebook is too bad at being Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to fill it. We're good with that. Go ahead and uh, also uh, like, follow, favorite, subscribe uh, to us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. We're on things, of course, like uh, iHeartRadio and YouTube, but also general podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, Podbay, Podomatic, Stitcher, uh, and uh, we're hosted on Anchor. You can listen to us on Anchor as well. Um, that's a good one. Thank you, Anchor. Thank you, Anchor. <laughs> that's like a, uh, uh, We have like four catchphrases on the show, and that's that's one of them. Thank you, Anchor. It's one of the few ones. But <laughs> another one being something, to, another one something to do with the departed. Hey. 
Hey. <laughs> Check the box. <laughs> I was worried for a bit that the Lion King remake was going to become the new Departed, but we brought it back. Nope. Uh, it's I For as bad as the Lion King remake is, the Departed will still have just a touch more hatred in my mind. <laughs> because uh, it actually and, tried. Uh, go ahead, follow us lastly on it remade, at It Remade on Twitter uh, for updates when new episodes are going live, potential future episodes, things we've discussed in the past, including games, books, movies, music, whatever, that we've been participating in, as well as um, full circle diagrams that I've been putting together uh, regarding the folks that we have been covering multiple times uh, by accident mostly on this podcast. Uh, and that's it yeah. for socials. It'd be amazing if one day someone who's like been in a bunch of full circles comes across this podcast and like calls us up being like, why the fuck you keep talking about me? <laughs> Get like, my name out of your mouth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Man, of, all, of all the fucking... People, of all the groups or individuals that get drawn into like celebrity drama, if one or both of us gets pulled in because of this stupid podcast, I'm going to be so annoyed. <laughs> like, I, I've been so much of my uh, life to avoid drama. If my face ever ends up on like one of those clickbait Buzzfeed things that attract your 60 year old aunt on Facebook, yeah, that's the end. It, it that's it. Yeah, I'm, like we're I'm, like I'm we're over. we're taking we're taking down the podcast. Every episode gone. We are probably going to flee the country. Like just no like, archive. <laughs> No archive just gone. It does like there's a lot of things in this world that need to be preserved. There's a lot of things that des distinctly need to be destroyed. This will be one of them. <laughs> there's a kill I'll, switch I'll on this pull thing. The plug. I don't care. I don't. I don't back up these episodes. I don't save them. If if they go, they they're gone. <laughs> let, let the end of the show be like the the end of the Bronze Age. No one knows what happens, and we have maybe disparate reports at best. I will be fiddling at my computer screen as as I watch the the episodes get deleted. I do not care. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, but with that little fun. <laughs> <laughs> with that little statement on our <laughs> existential doom, as always, I am your host Stuart, and I'm your host Jacob. See you out there, potentially. <laughs> Bye. up to anywhere from 10 to 15 of these city-sized spacecraft. I know, my Just try and stay calm. As to why these... Tell her to pack up and leave town. Why? What happened? Just do it! Oh, Ma, Ma, listen. Oh, get your stuff together and uh, head for Anastas. Don't argue with me. Just go! David, why did I just send my mother to Atlanta? <laughs>